to this new faith, this new life that they had found. So we've been watching the apostles as they go and they teach in the temple. And then they're persecuted, they're thrown in prison, back and forth. And last week we talked about it again as we read the, the work or the book of the Acts. And we saw the ways the apostles were teaching in the temple and they were healing people. In fact, people were so impressed by this that they were starting to come out in droves. They would line the streets hoping that, that Peter's shadow would fall on them and heal them. But here's the other part of it too, is that the apostles met there, but it says the rest, and I'm guessing it was probably the church, the rest of the church was afraid to go and meet there with him. Because we remember, I mean, Jesus had just been crucified. So here they are saying that we are following Jesus who's been crucified. But also, the highest council of the day told them to stop preaching in the, go- or start preaching in the temple for risk of their lives. Yet the apostles still preached in the temple. They still went to go and tell people this good news and heal people. Well, we pick up the story again today. You see, the, the high priest and his associates, who were members of the party of the Sanhedrin, they had gathered and they were becoming jealous. They were filled with jealousy. So they had the apostles arrested again. And they put them in jail publicly where everybody could see. But that night, an angel of the Lord came and opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And he said, go. Go. Stand in the, courts, or in the temple courts and tell people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, at daybreak the next day, the apostles went and, and they stood in the, in, the temple, in, the, in the temple courtyard just as they had been told and they taught the people. Now you see, the thing about this is I start thinking about us as a church and the ways that we are faithfully following God. Now we're not doing it perfectly, I know. But I am encouraged by the ways that we as a church are faithfully following God. I still, I still reflect, I'm still excited about what happened in the park two weeks ago. The ways that we were faithful, that we had this vision from God to go and to, and to sing and to worship Him out in public, to invite our friends. You know, and some people said, you know, some people from outside the church were thinking like, why are you guys doing this? Like, why would you even go out? You've got a building to meet and why would you go meet out in the field? And yet we were faithful to what God had called us to. And it was amazing to see the ways it was a blessing to people. But I also see the ways that we are being faithful as a church still. I mean, we've got a mission evening coming in a couple weeks where people are going to gather here, where we are going to gather here to raise money for missions, for other groups, for missions here locally, missions as far away as Mexico. And we've just kicked off the Sunday school week or the Sunday school for the fall for our children as we continue to encourage them in faith in this Jesus who has changed our lives. We also have small groups beginning. Opportunities for us to gather together, to pray together, to read God's word together. The Vitality team met this week. The first time, their first meeting. This team who's going to continue to encourage us and help us move more and more towards health and mission. Great things are happening in our church because of our faithfulness to following what God has called us to do. I'm encouraged by this. But I'm also encouraged by the fact that we are proclaiming the fullness of this new life. Did you catch that when the angel spoke to the, to the apostles and he said, go and tell them or tell the people the fullness or the full message of this new life? So this is our desire for people. This is our desire for our community, for our friends and for our neighbors, that they would know this new life. 
You see, so oftentimes, I, as I talk with people outside the church, they think that Christianity is this big uh, group of, of people who get together and talk about things they don't do anymore. Talk about the things they used to do when they had fun and now they're Christians, they can't do them anymore. That's not what we do. Sometimes people think of Christians as people with a short list of things that they're against. As you talk with, um, sometimes people take polls and like one of the things that they've determined about people's view of Christianity is that people view Christians, they don't know them for much other than what they're against. Whether it's certain types of ways of living or, or what that might be. You see, they don't understand yet. They don't understand that we are here in this room worshiping Christ, worshiping God because of what God has done. That he has given us this new life. This amazing new life. I mean, most of us can talk about it. I mean, we've talked about it just a few weeks ago where we were, I had you guys ask if you could raise your hands. If, you know, if you were thinking about where you were headed before you followed Christ, before God got a hold of your life. Think about that for a moment. Where were we headed? I think about my own life, where I was headed before God changed me, before God helped me realize. See, this is what we want for people, is this life more full. Life filled with God's presence, reminded again and again of how deeply God loves us. The extent that he went to to save us. Imagine that, God coming here himself, leaving everything he had in him, coming down to earth as a child, as a helpless child who had to be cared for, who got sick, had to go through life and pain and fall and, and scrape his knees and to grow up to be a man who was rejected by his own people. The Christ had to come and teach. He had to see the pain and brokenness of this world and experience himself. But then he went to the fullest extent. He sacrificed himself, willingly going to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to be crucified there. And yet he still went and he hung on a cross and he died that we might have life. But then he rose again that we might have hope, not just in life more full now, but life that goes on forever with him. This life more full. This joy that comes with following Christ. This hope that we have in him. And also, too, the sorrow, the compassion we feel, that we are more engaged in life. You know, as a follower of Christ, the more engaged we get, the good thing is we will experience more joy. The hard thing is that we also feel more compassion and more sorrow. As our, as our heart becomes more fully alive. You see, so often people try to go through life just limiting their pain. How can I get through the next day without feeling much pain? How can I get through the next day guarding my heart without being hurt or disappointed? And pretty soon that leads to a pretty small, pretty, pretty narrow life. Christ is talking about life more full. Now I'm here to tell you it's going to include risk. Living out of our heart, it's risky business we'll probably be hurt by it. The more we open our heart to others, the more we will be hurt. The more chances there are that we'll be wounded. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. Experiencing this love of God, it's worth it. And that's the thing. You can't experience this love more fully if we aren't opening our hearts. That's the risk that we run. See, this is what we're talking about with people. This is what I think the angel was telling the apostles to do. Go and tell people the full message the full message of this new life. True, it includes the, the forgiveness of our sin. That we're able to repent and to set down all the things that we regret, all the things that we've done that we wish we could go back and change. It's true we can set those down and we can ask God for his forgiveness. But it's even more than that. 
As if that weren't enough, it's even more than that. This is what the angel told the apostles to go tell the people. Well, you can imagine when the, when the high priest and his associates, when they arrived at the temple, they called together the Sanhedrin, which is all of the, all of the wisest men, all the elders of Israel. He called them together and he sent, for the, he sent to the jail for the apostles. Well, the, the officers of the guard, they went to the, to the jail, but they didn't find them there. Now, as I hear this, I can't help but start to laugh. Because I imagine this Pharisee, this chief priest, pretty self-important man, like a proud peacock walking around, calling together the Sanhedrin, and yet they can't find these apostles. There's nothing more infuriating for a self-important person than to feel foolish. So he calls together all the Sanhedrin, all the most important people, and they come like that because he's an important guy. We're having, a, we're having a trial today, so come. Only thing is, there's no prisoners. <laughs> Can't find any prisoners. Now, they don't know this yet, and I can imagine them sitting there as they wait, as the officers turn the jail upside down looking for these guys. I see the, the, the high priest getting angry, Getting more and more frustrated, checking his sundial. Where are these guys? I see the, the uncomfortable conversations that begin to happen. These, these older men sitting around, often them, uh, the members of the Sanhedrin, as they're waiting, you know, that awkward time. I, and I have two little boys now. And I can tell you, the one thing they don't do well is wait. They start fidgeting, you know, and most of us guys, we can attest to this, we don't outgrow that. So we have all these guys sitting there trying to figure out what to do with themselves, you know, straightening their, their robes, wondering to themselves, why are these things so itchy? Why do we still have to wear these? I can see him talking to the person next to him, you know, just kind of killing the time. So I haven't seen you've been at Temple in a while. Three weeks now, is, is everything okay? Trying to fill the time, trying to fill this gap. Well, the officers, they return to them. They return to them and they report to them, We've, we went to the jail and we found the jail secured and the guards were standing at the door. But when we opened the door, there was no one inside. Now at this report, the, the officer or the, the captain of the guard and the chief priest, they're puzzled and they begin to wonder what to make of this. You know, this shows me that Luke has a sense of humor. Luke is the writer of Acts. He says that the, the captain of the guard... And the chief priests were puzzled. Like, come on, Luke, these guys are freaking out. I mean, the captain of the guard, he has a job. This is his job. Two things. Guard the temple and take care of prisoners. And he's failing miserably at both. He's not just puzzled. He's sweating bullets. I mean, this is his job on the line. Let alone, maybe even his life is on the line here. He's a bit more than puzzled. And the chief priest, this peacock of a man, self-important, He's not just puzzled. He's furious. Where are these guys? I look like a fool in front of all the elders, in front of the Sanhedrin, the highest council of the day. I look like a fool. Where are these guys? I can imagine God laughing a bit. These guys who think that they're doing everything 
part of the religious establishment, doing these things for God, I can just imagine God chuckling to himself. But it gets better. At just that moment, it says, a person came up and he said, look, those men that you put in prison are in the temple courts again, teaching the people about Jesus. That's it. I can just imagine, I can imagine the high priest thinking to himself, that's it. I mean, the wheels have completely fallen off of this thing. They can't even keep control of these guys. They had him in jail. How hard is it to keep him in jail for one night? They can't even do it. So the, the captain of the guard now, he doesn't leave it to his officers, the captain of the guard and the officers, they go and they get the apostles. And they brought them. But they were careful not to use force because they were afraid the people might stone them. You see, the people love them. The people, they were listening to them teach. They were wanting to be healed. They loved them. So it's kind of funny for us. We can imagine this scene as everything begins to go wrong for these people who are used to everything being perfect. People who don't like to be embarrassed. We see everything falling off and we begin to chuckle. But there's also this serious side of it too. It's not so funny when people refuse to follow God. It's not as funny when people refuse to recognize who Jesus is. You know, sometimes people mock God. Sometimes they mock us for following him. Sometimes people think we're crazy and they let us know. Sometimes it's hurtful, especially from people that we love or people that we respect. But it's also hard when people that we know and we care about refuse to follow Christ. I struggle with this. I know some of you, in conversations with you, you struggle with it too. People who, they look at their life and they say, you know, you know, maybe Jesus did all those things, maybe he did rise again, but I just don't like the idea of having to rely on someone else for my faith or for my, anything in my life. I've earned everything I've got. I'm a self-made person. I don't want to rely on anybody for anything. Sometimes people refuse to follow God. Or maybe it's their, their life. You know, I'm really comfortable with the way things are right now. I kind of call my own shots. I do things as I want to. No one telling me what to do or telling me how I should live. I kind of like that. I don't know that I really want to follow this Jesus that you talk about. Even though he seems like he's changed your life, I'm not sure if I want to risk it for that. This is serious stuff. This is the stuff that's not so funny. You see, we desire people to know this life, this Lord that we have found, or more better, or better said, this Lord who has found us and changed everything for us, turned our world upside down, given us this life more full. Well, the apostles were brought... And they were made to stand in front of the Sanhedrin, made to appear before them, to be questioned by the high priest. He said, we've given you strict orders not to teach in the name of this man. But you have filled the whole city, you've filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching. And you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles, they replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God has exalted him to his right hand, making him prince and savior, so that he might give repentance and the forgiveness of sin to the sons of Israel. We are witnesses of this. We've seen it with our own eyes. And the Spirit is a witness also. And God has given him to, him all, to all who have obeyed him. At this, 
the Sanhedrin, this group of really important men, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. As I'm listening to this, I am moved by the ways that these men, these apostles, standing before this whole Sanhedrin, the most powerful people of their day, and said, we have to obey God rather than men. You know, sometimes people think it looks foolish for us to follow God. Sometimes people look at the ways that we live, the ways that we faithfully follow Christ in our lives, and they think it looks foolish. From the outside, I can understand why. Without knowing Christ, without trusting Him, without having realized what He's done, the way He's changed everything, I can see how it might look foolish. And sometimes it feels awkward to us, too. There's this vulnerability that comes with following God. It's hard to look cool and follow Jesus. It's hard to, be, to look powerful and follow Jesus. I was thinking about it. For the, for the uh, worship in the park, we put out signs. It's not a big deal, but you know, I put out signs and, and one of them came back and we picked it up and someone had written on it. And it's funny because I don't even know how to explain it totally. I, I've been thinking about this for a while. I mean, you can tell. I mean, it's been a, two weeks now. But it's sort of like someone like, kind of kicked me in the gut when I picked it up and I saw someone had written on it. Just like, I don't know what it was exactly, but I think this is part of our faith too. Sometimes people mock us for what we believe. Maybe not to our face, but, but to other people. Jesus talked about this. And actually, Linda, I, I was pretty amazed that you read it this morning. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus went on to say, Blessed are you when people persecute you when people insult you and say all sorts of evil things about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they treated the prophets who went before you. These words, they give me hope. They help me to work through the times when people make fun of me because of my faith. When we put ourselves out there and we desire good things for people and they turn and make fun of us for it. I don't know, just something about it. It's hard to even explain. I don't know, maybe I just, I feel like maybe I should be old enough now where it doesn't bother me, but it still does. I don't know, maybe because it means so much to me. Maybe because this faith, who Jesus is and what he's done, means so much to me. To see people reject it, I don't know, it, it breaks my heart. But I'm telling you, it's getting harder and harder for us to follow God. You know, maybe there was a time in Canada, I think, few decades ago when when being a Christian and being a Canadian were very close. When people maybe respected you more because you were a Christian. But I see things changing. And I don't want to get into liberal and conservative and those agendas, but I do want to talk about society and how there is a divergence between Christian faith and our society. And it's getting harder and harder for us to be Christian. Or at least harder and harder for us to be Christian and for people not to make fun of us or not to to hate us even because of what we believe. Now these aren't things that we've just made up. The things that we believe, we believe in because we believe, first of all, that Christ lived and died and that he rose again. And that he's seated at God's right hand. Because we believe this, we believe the rest of God's word. 
we believe that God has given us the scriptures. Not just to tell us how to live or tell us what to do, but because God loves us. He's given us a way to live that will help us live in the best way. The ways to live that are best for us. And you can think about society, you think about people who talk about certain ways of living. I don't know. Like, for example, marriage. As Christians, we affirm marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman that goes on forever. You see, we live in a society now where it's kind of more common that people don't actually get married, or at least they don't get married for a long time. Now, if this is your story, maybe you can relate to this. How things have changed when you were married. How God is at work in that. But we live in a time now where it's more common that people live together. And I see it in our community. I see it as, as parents live together for a while, they have children. Then after a while, they just separate. And children are left holding the pieces. And they try to say that this is better. This is better than, than living together, committing to each other for the rest of your life. Now I know some might say that, well, you know, look at the church. I mean, people get divorced in the church too. I'm divorced. My wife left me. This thing's happened in the church, but I'm saying this is not the best. I mean, this is one of the hardest things in my life. I would have did everything I could to help make it right. But it still happens. I know some of you have been, apart, or been, uh, have been divorced. I want to encourage you, God can work redemptively through that. But not that we'd ever say that, that separation and those things are okay. See, it's getting harder and harder, and that's just one issue. I mean, think about anything, about human sexuality, about uh, what we teach in schools. There's all these issues where it's becoming more and more difficult to be a Christian. But we must remain faithful. As I hear the words of the apostles, as I watch their example, I want to live faithfully, even though it's going to cost us. Jesus talked about this. He said, whoever wants to follow me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospel, they're going to save it. It's surprising how this works, that we give up our lives to gain them, that we deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow Jesus. Well, a teacher of the law, or a Pharisee named Gamaliel, he was a teacher of the law, and he was honored by all the people. He stood up in the Sanhedrin, and he, sent, he ordered the men to be sent outside for a little while. Then he addressed the whole Sanhedrin. He said, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. A while back, Thutis, he appeared, and he claimed to be someone. And about 400 people rallied to him. But he was killed, and his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him came Judas the Galilean, during the days of the census. He led a group of people in rebellion. He too was killed and his people were dispersed. He said, in this present situation, I advise you to leave these men alone, to let them go. If their purpose and if their if things that they're doing, if they are against, or if they are of human origin, they're going to fail. But if they're from God, then you will not be able to stop these men and you'll find yourself fighting against God. Now the Sanhedrin, they were persuaded by this speech. 
They called for the apostles. They had them whipped. And then they ordered them 